Weber Wenzel has over 150 years of experience and industry knowledge and understands the importance of promoting social justice in South Africa better than most. The firm is home to the country's most long-standing, dedicated pro bono legal practice and works closely with law firms across Africa, promoting access to justice, education and socioeconomic development. I'm Steve Dunn and on today's Workday podcast, I'm delighted to be speaking to one of our South African customers. That's Warren Hero. He's the CIO and CDO at Weber Wenzel. And today we'll be taking a closer look at how technology leaders are helping push their organizations through the most challenging of times and what the roadmap looks like in the post-pandemic world. Warren, a big welcome to you as our first South African guest on the Workday podcast. Appreciate it, thank you. I wanted to start really by talking about you um, and getting a bit of background on, on your company for some of our listeners who, who don't know what you do. So if you could just start by giving us a bit of an overview of, of Weber Wenzel and, and your company, please. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I have been in technology all my all my working life, uh, primarily in financial services. Uh, I joined uh, Microsoft for a while, so uh, you know, kind of left uh, uh, you know being the end provider of uh, technology for organizations. And then currently with uh, Weber Wenzel as both chief information officer as well as chief digital officer. Uh, what does Weber Wenzel do? We are premium full-service law firm. Uh, and so our focus is around you know, being able to deal with legal matters for our clients, whether it's in a corporate context, a commercial context, um, uh, you know, in a dispute resolution context, you know, from a litigation point of view, tax, uh, as well as projects, you know, because often uh, these big projects require you know, fairly significant uh, muscle. And then, of course, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, uh, if you look at our uh, email footer, uh, we are deal makers of the decade. Uh, and that is just about deal flow uh, because of the fact that we have just the most incredible lawyers. So when it comes to applying both the legal muscle as well as the technology muscle to help, on, help our clients solve difficult uh, issues, I mean, that is, that is what we're really good at. Yeah, that's really interesting. No, well, I'll come back to kind of sort of the the use of technology within your firm, particularly during the pandemic, in, in a couple of questions. But um, from a personal perspective, I know you you obviously you mentioned that you wear the the hats of of CDO and and CIO as well, which um, is becoming increasingly common in in IT, but interesting nonetheless. Tell me a little bit about kind of how your career journey has has evolved and, and how you've sort of moved through to to, to wear both of those hats. Yeah, and it probably has to start, uh, you know, in, in financial services uh, and, you know, uh, started off with call centers uh, and started off with the digital channels, uh, you know, into the call centers. Uh, and, you know, it was really fortunate to launch some of the first internet banking, telephone banking capabilities in the country. Uh, and then, uh, of course, as the call center person, uh, and as you know, someone said, hey, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a fold-up chair. Uh, and so from an executive point of view, I, you know, I, I got a chair at the table and then started doing some really deep work uh, around customer experience, uh, customer satisfaction and loyalty, and the link to the employee, right? Uh, and and that, that's one of the things that I found really interesting. Uh, and, and, and there's this idea of the service profit chain, you know, the fact remains is that the biggest indicator of an engaged or loyal customer or client uh, is an engaged employee. Uh, and uh, being able to explore that, and, and I think for myself, that was one of the, 
you know, one of the, the seminal lessons. Uh, and the other aspect, uh, you know, was probably, you know, at Microsoft where, you know, often when you work for an organization, you often only have the opportunity to understand your own organization's journey. But in my role as chief technology officer at Microsoft, I was able to, uh, on, on at least, you know, almost 44 different occasions, uh, go through this digital transformation journey with a number of our clients, you know, across sectors. And, and it helps you develop a mental picture, right? Because you get an understanding uh, of, of what works, what doesn't work. Uh, you get to almost deduce principles, right? And as, a, as an architect uh, in, you know, my competence area in, in technology, that ability to deduce the principles and to consistently go back to the principles and think about the application of the principles has been absolutely invaluable because then in applying the principles, I can look at multiple time horizons. How does the principle application look like in a year's time? What does it look like in three years time? Hell, what could it look like in 15 years time? Uh, and, and, and those principles help you establish a consistent approach. Uh, and so of course the principles aren't cast in stone as the organization's strategy evolves, so those principles evolve as well. Yeah, now that's really interesting. I think you 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 talked about just then, you know, about that long-term view and and trying to best you can kind of set a chart a course for the future, as it were. And obviously we're as we're all aware, we're we're coming out of a or some of us are coming out of you know the, the pandemic and moving into that post-pandemic world. I know there's different countries are, are at different paces, but you know one of the things that sort of caught my eye when I was you know researching this podcast and looking at kind of your company was you know how you've been using technology and you know, really promoting the use of technology to resolve disputes you know digitally um, during the pandemic rather than sort of you know waiting until. Um, you know, given the, the urgent nature of legal matters, postponing things indefinitely. Can you tell, talk to us a bit about how digital's played a key part in, you know, resolving those disputes and keeping your business moving during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely, right. And for me, the, you know, where it started was trust, internal trust, and then, of course, the trust of our clients. Uh, and the internal trust was, uh, you know, during, as we transitioned, as we went into a hard lockdown March last year, Part of what we were able to do because of the fact that we have been once again planning on these principles to think about the employee's mobility rather than the mobility of the technology, we tied the, you know, our mobility program to making sure that our employees and our teams could work from, from anywhere. And so when the pandemic hit, it was literally the only thing that we really had to do was on, on some of our admin teams was to be able to get them devices. Uh, but because of the way we set up the rollout process, we could give someone a device. They could go to their home, open up the device, and, and then literally log on to a website and the device would be imaged. And because of the fact that on the mobility of, of the teams, that focus uh, made the big difference. And because of the fact that the teams understood that what we had at heart, because you know, in a South African context, uh, we're still a bit behind the curve uh, in the context of the way we charge our customers for our services, and we still use the billable hour. Uh, and so one of the fundamental things that we have to do for our teams and the way we earn our keep at the table is to be able to enable our team's productivity. And so when our teams then had to switch to remote working and they could be productive, 
as productive as they were in the offices. You know, that was, you know, one of the big wins. So it generated that internal thrust for our clients. You know, one of the things that we did is there was the, you know, for one of, one of our teams that do maritime law, there was an auction of a vessel. And I think the vessel was, I think it was probably around 200, 220 million US dollars. But we enabled our team to conduct uh, the auction online. And so when our team saw, hey, we can conduct the auction, like what else could we do? And so I think often uh, part of what we often have to do as technologists is to find the right showcases that makes compelling use of the technology in, in the way people conduct their daily work. And because of the fact that this, that this becomes about the daily work, uh, it then improves it. Uh, and then, of course, when our clients saw, oh, you guys can make use of this technology. And now when I brief you on a legal matter, I don't just brief you and come in right at the end. Uh, and then there's a disconnect, you know, because often, you know, like when you fire a missile, you, you are able to, uh, you know, old missiles, you know, used to fire it and help, you know, fire it and help. With new missiles, because there's these micro con uh, corrections, you know, every couple of milliseconds, you are sure to hit the target. Uh, and because of the fact that we are then able to involve the client after the briefing process in the conversations and in what becomes meaningful, what aspects of the matter deserves emphasis, means that the, the end product for the client approximates not only what the client had briefed us on, but the actual intent that the client had on the matter. And that those, those elements of trust, uh, both internally and externally, are the things that kind of lifted our uh, technology competence and the use of technology. And then we start, started showing teams the benefit of the data and the telemetry that drops out of these discussions. Because part of what we could show them in these conversations with clients uh, and even in these matters, these arbitrations that we had online, we could start showing them when there was a change in sentiment. And so while you thought you were clear, you could see that, you know, by the client's tone or even, you know, just by, by the eye tracking, that there was, some, there was some disconnect. And so that ability to then show to the lawyer, hey, here's a potential where when you, when you talk about this matter, take your time, slow it down, make sure you understand the client's intent and by understanding that intent and then also asking questions for, for clarification, make sure that once again, the, what the, the product that we deliver, the outcome that we deliver is consistent with the intent that our client had intended. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. I mean, you're talking about sort of using digital you know, to to continually sort of assess and and collaborate in, a, in an ongoing fashion. It's, it's uh, talking about diving a little deeper into that sort of sentiment stuff you were just talking about. Is that is that all done? Is that is that driven by technology in terms of artificial intelligence, or is it is it a manual process to kind of understand that sentiment and then feed it back to a lawyer of where problems may occur or may occur in the future? So so. Uh you know, one of, the, one of the beautiful things about this digital context is we need to try and make things as frictionless as possible because when I make the transaction frictionless, the, the lack of friction actually promotes the use of the capability that you've developed. And so our approach is not to try and, for instance, in our CRM system, and let me make, make use, use that as an example, we don't expect our lawyers to enter data. 
And so as they are having a conversation with the client, and of course, in the context of privacy legislation, you know, South Africa, uh, you know, we have just passed uh, our, our privacy legislation has just come into effect. And so we are quite clear with our clients about how these things work in the context of our of, of privacy legislation. But as they're having a conversation with the client, uh, and let's say, for instance, the client sends a mail and something has changed in the email signature, the CRM system, because of, because of the way the data flows between uh, our, our email uh, and, our, and, and our CRM platform, those details are updated. And so immediately, uh, one of the things we noticed then also is the fact that, hey, we haven't interacted with this client in a while. Uh, is, is, is this person still, still at our client or have they changed jobs? And then, of course, we bring in feeds like LinkedIn, right? And so when we notice that somebody, that, that somebody then reports a different company to what is, what, what is assigned uh, on, on our internal uh, systems, we then uh, start showing the lawyer, hey, here's an opportunity to congratulate uh, you know, the person uh, because often uh, you know, because of the fact that the market is in such a, such a growth phase for us, here's an opportunity to first of all have a conversation to congratulate the individual. Uh, and then because of the fact that we can bring the data to the point of interface is, is, is I think the elegant thing. Uh, and so all of this is enabled of course uh, with um, uh, neuro linguistic programming. So it's a type of a narrow AI and that ability to consistently mine the data, right? And so part of what we're doing now is of course, bring in other channels, like right? the ability to bring in calls, uh, the, bringing, the ability to bring in different types of DM chats and that ability to bring all of that uh, to a point. We're now starting to get an understanding because we've been busy with it for the last 12 months about how client sentiment is tracking, but more importantly, what impact different communication channels are having on recency of contact, but more importantly, how that recency of contact is starting to have an impact uh, on, on client engagement and client loyalty. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the most advanced use cases I think we've probably come across. It's, that's really, really interesting. And it sort of, that, that all, links into trust, doesn't it? I think trust is yeah. a, a really important word. And that sort of segues nicely into what I was going to talk to you about next, which is, I know, a huge driver for your business just because of what you do. And, and especially during the pandemic has been cybersecurity, you know, given that you're in working across the financial services sector as well. How do you view cybersecurity as a whole? And, and what, what sort of work have you been doing in that area um, internally and sort of externally for clients? Yeah, and, and so, you know, the first thing for us is once again is, you know, when you look at the kill chain, the cybersecurity kill chain, that ability to understand that there are potential compromises as soon as possible that they occur, that ability to sense becomes absolutely one of the most important things. And that ability to understand the signal, because I think, you know, uh, most, most traditional cybersecurity approaches are about lists, right? Uh, but attackers use graphs because they understand how to traverse your organization with the use of graphs. And so, you know, part of what we do in the background is therefore to understand our own graphs and that ability then to, to have a visibility of the graph and to understand how somebody traverses the organization. We can then create behavioral blueprints internally. And once again, of course, this uses a lot of, you know, different AI capabilities 
but the fundamental ability is because of the fact that we have had such a focus on migrating all our uh, you know, core systems to the cloud, part of the benefit that that generates is that because of the fact that we have you know, the core system and let's say our document management system in the cloud, and because we have a behavioral footprint on the user, when there's a variation to that behavioral footprint, even though the person might be using the same credentials, we can start picking it up. And I think this ability to detect the signals, because in the world that we are in, because of the way crime as a service is evolving, most organizations are really good at, 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 at getting the, the, the really loud signals. But because of crime as a service, we're now starting to see much more nuanced, much, much softer signals. And that ability to discern that signal, uh, you know, you know, in, you know that, that low signal in all of the noise is part of where artificial intelligence plays a significant role. But for us, we look at a couple of things. We think about, uh, you know, of course, from an identity and access management perspective, the security of, of, our, of our internal customers' uh, identities. We, we think about how we onboard those identities, how we offboard them, and how we evolve those identities from a role-based access point of view. So in real time, uh, we're constantly enriching that identity graph for the individual. And so when there's a geographic disparity between where the person logs on and what happens, uh, you know, that concern immediately starts to raise. And of course, conditional access. So the next aspect is around the devices. So a device has health, and as long as the health is at the appropriate level, the individual can, can join whatever resources that they need to. But from a conditional access point of view, and because of the fact that there are automated playbooks in the background, so our, our incident response team don't have to come to an incident and then to think about which playbook to kick off. They can literally just fall into the playbook because of the fact that the telemetry has been collected, the endpoint uh, agents uh, not only look at the application uh, status, but they have a look at the attack surface at the process level Within, within applications. And, and that's probably part of the rationale, that ability to move from an unbelievably granular level to aggregate that and then to start showing you some of the signals uh, is probably where, where some of the benefits are. So the device identity, and of course, the last aspect that we think about is the data. Our law firm's uh, brand promise is around ensuring client confidentiality and client privilege. And so the way we think about the curation of the data, the way we then employ multi-factor authentication, the way we think about using data loss prevention, all of those elements figure into, uh, and even of course, the way we manage devices, like all devices, all devices are managed. If your device isn't managed, then, then you, know, you cannot have client data on it, uh, period. And for us, because of the fact that we become so clear about our information security management system, uh, we're now in the process of pursuing uh, a third-party certification, ISO 27001, 27002. And part of the reason why I believe that is important because when I think about trust and I think about trust in technology, I think first of all about privacy and control, second of all about, about security. But there's a conundrum. So even though I want to make privacy and control number one, I know that I need to have the requisite level of security in order to deal with the privacy, privacy and control. Uh, and then, of course, the third parties around these third party certifications and attestations and that ability to have a third party 
attest to the veracity with which you can apply the different control elements. The fourth aspect is around transparency. When something is right or wrong internally, we, we, we are really transparent. And also from a privacy legislation perspective, we, we, we emulate that uh, transparency externally as well. And then for us, number five is around reliability because if something is not reliable, people will find a way to circumvent it, will find a way not to make use of it. And therefore, uh, you know, while we have all the, these mitigations in place, because the consumption is not at the level that it needs to be at, uh, you know, we then, we then become uh, compromised. Yeah, well, that was a, a hugely comprehensive answer, probably the most comprehensive we've, we've heard around cybersecurity. So thanks for that, Warren. It was, um, has that kind of cybersecurity become a, a bit more of a conundrum since you've moved into the cloud? Or is, you know, is this always something that you've, that you've faced, even sort of coming from the on-premise world? How do you see that? Yeah, actually, it's gotten clearer because of the fact that that difference between discerning the signal and being able to adjust your posture, that time has, has, has literally been squashed. And so our ability, therefore, to make use of all the hyperscale cloud providers with the telemetry that they connect, collect and then to superimpose that on our security posture happens in real time. So when you think about uh, you know, Amazon uh, in terms of Security Hub or Azure Secure Score, your ability to understand your real-time live security posture and then to make adjustments to it based on understanding, hey, how do I prioritize which actions in order to improve my posture? And because of the fact that you constantly have this ability to reprioritize based on what you have done, that ability to adjust that real-time posture is probably one of the most powerful things. And then, of course, now you have this ability to use the innovations like Seam and Saw uh, in the cloud. And because of the fact that I can bring in all this telemetry, analyze the telemetry, do the signaling, and then initiate playbooks based on the telemetry uh, you know, with, with a number of uh, artificial intelligence tools, becomes, becomes hugely responsive, right? Because in IT for us, we think that our primary way to contribute to the organization's success is velocity of delivery. So we constantly think about how do we accelerate delivery? How do we accelerate that, that um, you know, the, the, those, those points between somebody thinking about something and us being able to deliver that capability? And the tighter and tighter we can, we can make those feedback loops, the quicker we learn, the faster we learn. And, and of course, from an acceleration point of view, is just from a, being a digital organization, you know, as uh, you read in uh, you know something like you know the exponential organization is is about that sense and respond right sense and respond and being able to squash the time between those two aspects. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. The um, th thinking about sort of cloud and one of the things that really caught my eye when I was um, watching some of the the previous videos that you've done actually Warren was around the the digital legal platform that that you yes. guys are building and again thinking about cloud infrastructure and everything else. Can you tell me a bit about the, the legal platform, what it is and you know, the role of technology in kind of shaping that and, and putting it together? Absolutely, right? So because, I mean, our firm is about intellectual property, right? About being able to bring together 
uh, a person's academic knowledge, a lawyer's academic knowledge and their behavioral knowledge, right? And the behavioral knowledge is something that we get from our document management system. But we knew that the point, the first point of leverage was to be able to get a view of our people. So the first thing that we did, our first uh, platform in the cloud was WordPress. Because we we knew we had to do that because of the fact that we we needed to take advantage of the innovation premium because we had six disparate, uh, uh, you know, different applications for HR. Now we have one. Uh, And so we have now reduced the cost of management of all these platforms. And therefore, our teams can then focus helping the HR functionaries uh, to put them in a position to then essentially initiate recruitment faster. And so uh, our graduate recruitment process, because, you know, we take attorneys straight out of university and we put them through a process. uh, And in two years time, you know, they they join us as a bona fide, you know, associate, legal legal associate. And we knew from a recruitment perspective, from an induction perspective, it's one of the fundamental things that we have to get right. And of course, coupled with that is diversity and inclusion because while we have a large black population, the representation in the workforce is quite small. And so by understanding our own employment equity, we were then able to set targets for ourselves and of course put programs in place to make sure that the representation of individuals that come out of university and us understanding what they need to become acclimated in the environment was, was the core of the process. And, and now, I mean, it's humming. Uh, uh, or, you know, when you look at our recruitment process and when you look at our, just the hygiene factors around payment, uh, you know, around performance management, that ability to have all of that done and to understand how our skills base is evolving is absolutely the core. The next part of the part of our platform, of course, is our client platform. And that ability to bring our client insights. And once again, as a client briefs us on a matter, no longer do we depend on a partner to know that somebody has a specific body of knowledge. We go to work, we understand that they have this body of knowledge and we can then match uh, the the client need to the internal skill. And then the last portion, of course, is finance and operations. We are are not Mother Teresa, we're in business to, to, to make profit but to do so in a responsible and a sustainable manner. And so that ability to bring uh, the ability for our business to understand financial discipline, to preempt cash flow issues. And then and that was probably one of the biggest opportunities that we saw you know, through COVID because of the fact that we knew we had to get a real-time understanding of our cash flow. Uh, and, and therefore that becomes... Uh, you know, became really important. And the last part is, a, is, a, is an, innovate, you know, a, uh, an innovation platform. A mentor of mine always said there's this, dun- this juncture between using the X and sharpening the X. And that ability now to talk to our organization about when to use the X and when to sharpen the X in order to make sure that we can balance, um, you know, that we can balance exploration and exploitation uh, is one of the things that we that we see playing quite well into the way we're doing innovation. Yeah, no, I, I love that, I, and I, I love the um, that whole talk talk of the axe and, and when to sharpen, etc. The the thing that sort of as you were talking there that really sort of caught my attention was how you're using Workday from a um, from a skills management perspective. You know, get, getting a, a single view of, of the skills that you have, so you can match those with with partner needs. 
taking it on a little bit further, thinking of kind of the, obviously you're a, a joint CIO or CDO, so you're quite unique in that sense. But what do you think in terms of the skills that um, CIO or CTO are going to need? Is that changing from a, a pure technology background into sort of more data-driven disciplines and backgrounds? Or how do you see that moving? You know, with all of these platforms, the four that I talked about, our employee platform, our client platform, uh, our finance and operations platform, and our vision innovation platform, we, we are so alien about the data and understanding the data and understanding how to bring the data together. And so we're doing a lot of work, uh, you know, with data lakes and, and, and matching and, and being able to put together data. Because it's this wonderful thing, right? We, our minds and the way our brains work is we understand things in opposition. So when I can bring two points together, that ability then gives me, the, opens up these creative spaces. It's like, you know, when we brought together suitcases and wheels, right? <laughs> I, I still used to live, you know, I lived in that time when we used to carry these big bags around. Now you wheel them around and, and, and the decrease in effort uh, is part of part of the opportunity, and that is what data can allow. And I, you know, people always talk about data as the oil of the 21st century, and I have a slight disagreement with it. You know, because of the fact that we sit with such a glut of data, we have to be so deliberate about the narrative that we are trying to formulate, right? And not not to allow our heuristics or the patterns that our brains naturally develop to to be superimposed on the data but really to have the discipline to allow the emergent properties to move, you know, to emerge out of the data. And so that data-driven decision-making to move away from anecdote is one of the core things that we see, you know, as a, uh, you know, as, uh, you know, as, uh, uh, as a competitive advantage uh, for our firm. And it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? I think the World Economic Forum indicated that an organization that makes effective use of the data that is within the ambits of the organization has the potential from a product and a service point of view to add about 23% to the bottom line. To your question, therefore, as a, uh, as a technologist, that ability to understand organizational strategy, right? and, and for us, our organizational strategy, our digital strategy, and our you know, core ICT strategy are no longer separate. And so, I have to reticulate myself into understanding what are the capabilities that the business is trying to build from an architecture point of view. Now there's this new, new approach to architecture rather than the old Zachman frameworks is we think about composable architecture. So we think about a business capability and we think about the, the technology components, the technology aspects, the apps, the data that we want to bring to bear uh, in order to be able to support that business capability. I was, um, I'm sort of re- reading through my questions as we go through, and you've done such a, um, a tremendous comprehensive job of, of, of describing stuff that you've kind of skipped through some of my questions, which is fantastic. The, the one thing that I did want to talk to you about before we do wrap up is, and you just you, you alluded to it slightly there about your approach to data, and I, I'm quoting, I think, from one of your previous presentations, which you said, uh, make the data sing. Which I think is is kind of alluding to some of the stuff you were talking about about data management and not just having all of this information at your disposal. You've got to actually do something with it. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of you know your approach to to data management and how you get the most from it and how you sort of action that and and make it available to to, to your stakeholders within the business? It's not a technology issue. Uh, it, it is an organizational issue. And I think that is one of the first realizations. 
The second aspect that we approach is we have clearly identified system owners because, and then that system owner is a line of business person that drives the capability that needs to be developed. So when we think about our business model, we think about client, we think about, uh, you know, what are the capabilities, uh, you know, in terms of um, value proposition that we need to develop. Then we think specifically about business capabilities. And then finally, the thing that happens is that when we do the right things is then the financial economic outcomes are produced, you know, beyond, you know, out of understanding those different components of the business model. But then fundamentally understanding how the, how the business model links to the operating model and that components of the operating model is understanding value streams, of course, understanding governance, and then fundamentally understanding skills and the way the skills need to evolve. And so we know we, we have to get really data literate. And so we've developed the capability uh, amongst a, a core of our staff to be able to understand data science, the application of data science, dashboards, user interface, and the way user interfaces work, right? Because when I show you a, a piece of data and I don't bring the appropriate context to it, it decreases your ability to consume it. Uh, and so and this, once again, it's this ability to go from the macro down to the micro and then to be able to build up the, you know, that granular, from that granularity, you know, back to the, to the macro, that macro, you know, that macro picture. Uh, and then, then, of, then, of course, it's about conversation, right? Courageous conversations, because, you know, it's like this, you know, that picture of a baby where the two parents are standing over the baby's cot uh, and they've put up this beautiful animal, uh, you know, uh, you know, distraction for the baby to look at. And they think, oh, this looks so beautiful from their vantage point. But when, when the baby looks at it from the bottom, all he's seeing is seeing the asses, you know, of, of the different animals. And, and, and that ability to understand that, that connection of UX, UI to the consumption, right? Because in this world, you know, and that's one of the things I love about retail, right? Is that ability to understand consumption, you know, to understand why somebody buys nappies and beers, right? <laughs> Uh, and, and how to situate the stores of the nappies and the beers can be in close proximity. We need to bring that same um, causality right, uh, to, to what we do uh, as technology professionals. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I think we've, uh, we've covered all the bases today, Warren. We've gone from uh, automation to data to uh, parrots derriere. So we've, we've certainly spanned the genres on, on this podcast. Um, I think that's just about all we have time for today. I'm Steve Dunn. I was joined by... Warren Heroes, our CIO and CDO at Weber Wenzel. Warren, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Check out our podcast channels on SoundCloud and Spotify and also via blogs.workday.com to hear more. Until next time, thanks again, Warren, and thanks for listening.